and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, many of you know that I spent about uh, 15 or so years in Messianic Judaism when I was younger, a Christian movement that emphasizes the Jewish roots of the faith. And so what that meant for us is that we uh, worshiped on Friday night or on Saturday rather than on Sunday, you know, keeping with the Old Testament Sabbath uh, issues there. Our liturgy was centered around the annual cycle of readings from the Torah, from the books of Moses, as is the, the pattern in the synagogue. And then our calendar is based on that, was based on that Old Testament cycle of feasts and fasts that you'll find in Leviticus 23 and other places in the law. At uh, the congregation that I attended for all that time, one of the most joyous times of year was during the autumn celebration of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, depending on how your Bible translates that there. So during Sukkot, uh, many people would make some temporary shelters in their yards out of cheap wood. Um, you'd hang fruit from the bamboo or wicker roof. Um, eat outside, and generally just have a good time during the eight-day feast, during the octave of Sukkot, which, if you remember your Old Testament, commemorates God's provision for the Israelites during the 40 years in the wilderness. God said, okay, you spent 40 years living in tents, so you're going to spend a week and a day doing so um, once you get to the Holy Land. And then in our congregation, kind of our particular tradition was that we would usually have a big cookout, we'd have a big party, make a procession of sorts with um, music and reciting of the Psalms of Ascent and that sort of thing. And one year we even hosted a musical festival over at Rosedale Park off of Culebra Road. You see John laughing there because I, we, he and I compared notes. When he was a child, he was at that same festival. I was leading the band, and his, uh, his church was doing something over there. So uh, probably something with music, knowing, knowing John's crew. So, um, yeah, so that was one thing that we did uh, oh, about, yeah, about a good 15 or so years ago. So by now, you're probably wondering why I would be talking about the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles when today we are celebrating the New Testament Feast of Epiphany. Of Epiphany. Of Epiphany. It's been a long weekend, y'all. <laughs> Yesterday was my anniversary, and then we were up all night with Leia vomiting. It's, 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 been, it's been a long weekend. So, um, yes, today we are celebrating the Feast of Epiphany. This is the Sunday within the octave of Epiphany. So just like in the Old Testament, Sukkot was an eight-day feast, so too um, do we have many eight-day feasts in the church calendar, and Epiphany is one of those. That's why we're celebrating Epiphany today. It's the Sunday in the octave. Epiphany was Monday, and so we're celebrating it during the Sunday during the octave. So we celebrate during the Epiphany. Um, it's, it's, historically, that was one of the most important feasts of the church. In the same way, we see that the Old Testament had three pilgrim feasts, when all the Israelite men were supposed to journey to the tabernacle or to the temple and to bring sacrifice and to worship God. And these were the most important holy days in the Old Testament. So two of these, Passover and the Feast of Weeks, have direct correlation in the church year with Easter, which is called in most languages Pascha or some derivative, a word that's also used for Passover in those languages. Same word in most languages. And 
Um, the other one being the Feast of Pentecost, uh, which you'll find in many of your Bibles, the Old Testament Feast of Weeks is called the Feast of Pentecost. Direct correlation. But what about that third feast? What about the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, there is significant evidence that Epiphany, the church's celebration of Epiphany, had its roots in a Christian application of the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles, despite occurring in different parts of the year. And this was very specific to certain communities, especially some in Egypt. But, um, but from there, the Epiphany spread abroad. And so it has its roots according to much of that evidence, in the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's why. Epiphany, historically, is one of the most important feasts of the church. Prior to the 4th century, the uh, Feast of Epiphany celebrated a whole host of events. So in the East, it's commemorated the Nativity or the birth of the Lord. They celebrated Christmas, and they still do, on the Feast of Epiphany. Throughout the church... Um, it celebrated and commemorated the visitation of the Magi and the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles, and that's what we're celebrating today. It also commemorated in, in the old days um, Jesus' visit to the temple as a boy. So that, that story during the Passover when he was there in the temple and his parents couldn't find him, right? And it celebrated the baptism of our Lord by John the Baptist. And it commemorated his first miracle of turning water into wine, so in short, in the old days, Epiphany celebrated all of those earliest events in the gospel story. In our prayer book's calendar, which, which is based on that traditional calendar of the Western church that was really set in stone by about the 10th century, we spread these later events over the first three weeks of the post-Epiphany season. So um, first Sunday after Epiphany, if we weren't celebrating the Epiphany today, we'd be doing that. And um, that commemorates the gospel reading as Jesus in the temple as a boy. Next week, Jesus' baptism. The week after that, the wedding at Cana, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the Western church was celebrating Christmas separately by the fourth century on December 25th. And we talked about why that is in previous times. We don't need to get into that today. Each of these events is reminiscent of some biblical element or some second century temple element of the Feast of Tabernacles. What that means is that the church saw the Feast of Tabernacles is foreshadowing these important events in Christ's life. So for today's specific purpose, that, that most significant aspect of Tabernacles that touches on Epiphany is the theme of God's appearance or manifestation, and particularly his manifestation to the Gentiles. The Greek word that comes to us as Epiphany means just that. It means appearance or manifestation. Our collect sums up this theme for us, and you can find this on page 107 in your prayer book. Page 107, the collect for the epiphany. O God, who by the leading of a star didst manifest thy only begotten Son to the Gentiles, mercifully grant that we, who know thee now by faith, may after this life have the fruition of thy glorious Godhead through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the Magi... The wise men that we sing about in We Three Kings, probably not kings, but that's okay. The Magi that we read about in today's gospel, that we sing about in the procession, they were not Jews. They were not Israelites. 
They're foreigners, most likely pagan magicians, priests, or astrologers. We get the word wizard from the same word that comes to us in Greek as magi, or as mage, really. Nevertheless, God miraculously brings them to our Lord Jesus by the star they followed from the east. So let's look at Matthew 2, beginning at the verse, first verse. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1, also found on page 108 in your prayer book. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." So I find it very interesting that the star only led the Magi as far as Jerusalem and thus gave Herod and the Jewish religious leaders a chance to hear the message. And it really does seem that Herod and the scribes realized the significance of the star. It seems that they realized that it did mean that the Messiah had come. But as we know from the rest of the story, Herod hardens his heart and wants to slay the Messiah rather than to rejoice in the fulfillment of God's promises. The scribes and the chief priests similarly give the right answer out of the Bible. They know where to look in the text, but they don't act upon it. No, of all those in the royal halls of Jerusalem, only the Gentiles sought after Christ. This wasn't the first time that God gave a messianic vision of a star to a pagan magician from the east. In Numbers 22 through 24, we have the story of Balaam, who was hired by the king of Moab to come from Babylon and curse the Israelites. But led by God, he blesses the Israelites rather than curses them. And in his final oracle, this is what Balaam says. You know, again, inspired by the Lord. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the, and destroy the survivors of cities. So this is of course a messianic prophecy about the ultimate rule and reign of David Zare, our Lord Jesus Christ. With that last part about Moab, Edom, and the other countries, it would be easy to think that the Messiah's purpose was to destroy the Gentiles, destroy the pagans, destroy Israel's enemies. What we discover in the Feast of Epiphany is that the Messiah instead would be revealed to the Gentiles. He would change the enemies into the people of God. In Zechariah 14, this revelation is tied to the Feast of Tabernacles, where in the day of the Lord, all nations, including those who had historically been Israel's enemies, quote, shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, 
and to keep the Feast of Booths. And that's, that's Zechariah 14, 16. Part of the coming of the Lord would be the Gentiles, even those who had been Israel's enemies, worshiping Israel's Messiah and worshiping Israel's God. John chapter 7 tells of Jesus keeping the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. You'll find this in John 7, um, or right around the, the verse 37 or so. In verse 37, he's at the water libation ceremony, which is one of um, the culminating events of the, of the Second Temple Sukkot practices. So this is what St. John writes. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So first of all, don't miss the baptismal imagery in this passage. We're going to talk about that a bit more next week. Not this passage, but just in general. And what we see is that there is indeed baptismal imagery here. St. John's theological layers strike again. Uh, John is like an onion, or for you Shrek fans, like a parfait uh, with many layers. (laughs) Theological layers, you pull one away and there's another one. You pull one away and there's another one. The Greek of John's gospel is the easiest linguistically, but the theology really is the deepest because he is fond of having many different layers going on. Second note that the offer Jesus speaks of was open to anyone who thirsts. Anyone who thirsts is to come to Jesus. In a theologically similar passage with similar baptismal imagery that we're going to find in John 3.16, you all know the verse, Jesus said, First, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the grand scope of Jesus' mission? The offer is to anyone who thirsts. Jesus came because God loved the whole world, not just the Israelite, not just the Jew, everyone, including pagan magicians from the East, including me and you, including your difficult neighbor, or your estranged child, or your annoying coworker, or your hostile ex just as much as he came for the innocent baby or the selfless teacher or the brave soldier. That's the primary point about the Feast of the Epiphany. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, came to redeem and reconcile all who would hear his call. But remember that such a call requires a response. The Magi were called by the Lord through the star. Possibly they were familiar with some of the prophecies of Daniel or some of those other biblical writings that happened while the Israelites were in Babylon, while the Israelites were in the east. But then what happens? The Magi saddle their camels, they gather gifts for worship, and they make pilgrimage. In verse 10 of our gospel passage, we see the end result of their journey. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So earlier, they followed the signs. 
But now they hear directly from God after they encountered God made flesh. In the first chapter of his gospel, St. John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know this is our Christmas gospel, right? That word dwelt means to pitch or to live in a tent. That is, it means to tabernacle. Just as the Israelites had dwelt in tents in the wilderness, just as God's presence rested in the tabernacle when they were, when they were on those journeys, so now had God taken flesh to tabernacle among his creation. God had become a pilgrim just as the Magi were, just as the Israelites were, and just as we are in this life. So during this season of Epiphany Tide, remember your pilgrimage. Remember that Christ was your fellow pilgrim who came to tabernacle with us and lead all of his people to the promised land. Remember that when he returns, renewing this world into a new earth, a new and better earth, a new and better Eden, a new and better Jerusalem, he will permanently bring his dwelling among us, joining, in he- joining heaven and earth. The Lamb himself will be our temple. As the prophet Ezekiel wrote at the end of the 37th chapter of his book, my dwelling place, which in Hebrew is my tabernacle, shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations... And Hebrew, that's the Gentiles. will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And so we do say, come soon, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.